The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. The music of composer and multi-instrumentalist Dan Van Hassel has been described as energizing by the Wall Street Journal, a refreshing direction by ICareIfYouListen.com, and an imaginative and rewarding soundscape by San Francisco Classical Voice. His works create an evocative sound world drawing from a background in rock, Indonesian gamelan, free improvisation, and classical music. Grants recognizing his work include Chamber Music America, the Barlow Endowment, the Johnstone Fund, the Boston Foundation, and New Music USA. Ensembles that have performed his work include Dinosaur Annex, Transient Canvas, Now Here Ensemble, Ignition Duo, and his work has been featured at the MATA Festival, Bang on a Can Summer Festival, Bowling Green New Music Festival, UC Davis Music and Words Festival, Wellesley Composer Conference, June in Buffalo, Music 11 Festival, the Seamus National Conference, and the International Computer Music Conference. Also active as a concert producer and electric guitarist, Dan was a founding member and artistic director of contemporary chamber ensemble Wild Rumpus 
through 2016 and is currently artistic director and guitarist for the Boston-based ensemble Hinge. Dan has degrees from the University of California, Berkeley, New England Conservatory, and Carnegie Mellon University, and has taught composition and electronic music at MIT, Brandeis University, Connecticut College, Clark University, and UC Berkeley. Usually for me, I try to be as hands-on as possible. So I like to either improvise on an instrument or at the computer with like a sampler or something like that. So it's very uh, visceral and physical. So I play the piano, I play the guitar, so I can improvise on those instruments. And for a lot of things, I do a lot of, with sampling. So particularly if there's extended techniques or other unusual sounds or things that I'm using with instruments, I will sample those from the players themselves, or I have a sort of library I've built up at this point. Sure. Uh, you know, various honks and squeaks, multiphonics, yeah. you know, just different instrumental effects. And then I can sample those so I can actually play them like on a sampling keyboard or just improvise sort of in a sequencer or something like that. Um, so it's very improvisational, very uh, tactile. That's how I always start. And then the, the score always, pretty much always comes at the, at the end of the process. So then everything is arranged in a, a digital audio workstation. So it's first of all tactile and then sound. So it's just based on the sound and hearing it. And, you know, with some thought as to sure. how players are actually going to do it, obviously. Um, but then the score, I sort of transcribe everything at the end. So it's not pen to paper. It's actually getting physical sound and sort of shaping it, molding it like clay. Yes, yes. And that's something, I mean, it's, that's not always how I worked, but it's sure. sort of what I've arrived at in the last few years. Um, I mean, I started out more, I mean, I've always been, I guess, my generation, people born, I was born in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with sequencers and computers, um, and synthesizers and all these things. But, you know, there was a period where I was doing more just like scores, start with that sure. through like my training and stuff. But there's a much more natural way for me to work um, just with the sound and worry about the notation later. When you're creating with this sound and then you're putting it into a score, do you ever find that, that those sort of experiments that you're doing are the piece itself? Has this ever like yielded an electroacoustic piece or even just an uh, ascumatic piece where you're just saying the, the actual experiment to make the score is, is the piece? Right. Well, not exactly. Although it, sometimes it seems like it could be. <laughs> but, I mean, you talked about, you, or you mentioned the electronics in epidermis, mm -hmm. which were arrived at in a similar way. So, like, the electronics part in that is all based from samples also, which I composed in the same way. So, when I am writing electronics, it's the same process. So, so it could be that the instrumental stuff, which is sort of electronic realization. That could be its own piece. But usually, I mean, I, I am personally, I mean, I really am very in love with live performance and um, real instruments, which is like 
very sad right now <laughs> because of the, the quarantine and the pandemic where we can't really do that. Um, so I, I really want it to be like live and like in the space. Um, so I'm never thinking of that. My, my electronic thing is the final, the final thing. It's always just to help me compose. So before we go any further, let's just talk a little bit about Epidermis. What's the instrumentation? Why was it written? And who are we actually hearing in the recording? Yes, Epidermis is for bass clarinet, marimba, and electronics. And it was commissioned by the group Transient Canvas. Matt Sherrick plays marimba and Amy Advocate bass clarinet in Transient Canvas who anybody listening in Boston is probably familiar with them. They're a major uh, group on the contemporary classical scene in Boston and all over the country, really. I mean, they tour. They are huge advocates for new music. And so I was really grateful to um, get this commission and also they're friends of mine. So, One thing I noticed about the electronic sounds are they are very electronic sounding. Uh, and I don't mean that as like, I, I feel like somebody could say that in like a negative way, like, oh, that was very electronic, you know, uh, what I'm meaning is that they sound, um, maybe a better way to put it is they sound sort of glitchy or they sound like perhaps artifacts that are created by cables, uh, um, you know, loose cables or, or even just noise. I think it right at the start, there's sort of this crackling that could be something that we would hear from a vinyl record. Right. So first of all, maybe talk a little bit about how, um, maybe specific to this piece, but first just how you collect these sounds when you're, when you're starting a piece like Epidermis. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Because um, <laughs> I never, every time I start a new piece, I never quite remember how, how I did it before. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, it had a lot of sounds. It sounded cool. Where did, where did those come from? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's for for that piece specifically, and for a number of pieces recently. Um, I mean, those are all samples from like various like rock songs mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and I guess that's not totally true. Some of the samples are from like manipulated samples of the instruments, sure, like some of the extended techniques which are sort of processed. 
but um, all like the crackly sounds and all of those things are all they're all sort of taken from various songs like Pink Floyd songs sure. <laughs> and stuff like that. And then I, I, you know, I'm collecting them, but then yeah, there's a certain uh, tonal or a timbre kind of character, like a coloristic character to the piece. So I'm sort of searching for things in a sort of category in my mind. I, I think about in uh, hip hop culture and especially early hip hop culture, this idea of crate digging and yeah. DJs of the time were trying to find drum breaks in these random recordings and to find places where there were just the existence of drums that they could then, you know, uh, spit yeah. over or create it. But so you're sort of crate digging as well. Uh, yeah. not I actual- mean, it's very related to that. Yeah. I mean, early hip hop is, you know, I grew up with that. Mm-hmm. That was my, my youth. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot, you know, lots of rock and heavy metal and, sure. and hip hop, you know, and so... That's very much in my DNA. So are you always on the lookout for these sounds that might work? For sure. Yeah, yeah. And oftentimes, a lot of times, um, the samples in my pieces come from like stuff I've been listening to recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like like I just happen to be listening to like this album or something. And then like it will be stuff from that. Or at least that will, it will start with that because it's stuff. Oh, I heard this little excerpt from something. Um and then it will make me think, I'm like, what else sounds kind of like that? And I'll like rack my brain or I'll just like be skipping through like my iTunes collection of like stuff. And be like, oh, I think there was something in like a, yeah, like a song by whoever, you know, like a Beatles song or something that sounded kind of like that. And um, then maybe in this other genre, other album, there's something that was similar. You know, it could be a noise. Right. It could be. At some, some point it builds yeah. into a thing. And then usually I have a bunch and then like, a bunch of them get thrown out because like, it doesn't sound right because it all has to kind of relate uh, in a sonic so it fits together, you know? So a lot of stuff like, no, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> One thing I noticed, though, especially about the electronic part in Epidermis is that the sounds that you were using, uh, regardless of where they came from and how you found them, I, I noticed there was a lot of revisioning happening to them. What's sort of your workflow there? Uh, it's It's fairly intuitive. I mean, it's... The, the way I think of it is as a sort of development of timbre rather than pitch. So like in school, at least what I learned studying composition is a lot of techniques for developing pitch material. Sure. Right. Melodies and harmonies, um, which whatever, you know, say Beethoven took this melody and then it's upside down and it's expanded and it's here and it's there. And I sort of, um, you know, I, I sort of rebelled against that idea. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to develop like Beethoven. That's already been done. So I've been thinking a lot about developing just timbres, tone colors, sounds. Um, and so a lot of those processes are that. So a lot of times the, the pitch material is very static in my pieces. Like it's not changing that much. Um, but there's a lot of uh, changes in the tone colors. So, yeah, so all of these are just tools in the bag, then like processing, adding these effects. Uh, a lot of times there's, I'm expanding and contracting the sample. So that's, that's a very typical technique that I do where there's like, maybe there's a longer sample. And by long, I mean like maybe like three seconds. Sure, sure. But then like you only hear like, like a tiny little, like 100 millisecond snippet of it. And then later it's expanded. You hear a little more. 
So expanding and contracting that way, um, which I'm, it's related to whatever augmentation, diminution, all sure. of these techniques that we learn for manipulating melodies. Um, but I really want to figure out a sort of tone color analog to those techniques, um, which is what's sort of interesting to me. Like also, you know, something I, I think about a lot is um, the idea of harmony versus noise or harmonicity versus noise. So thinking, you know, since I'm thinking so much about timbre, I, I sort of have thinking of these as the poles, sort of like consonants and dissonance would be in, in when thinking about harmony. And so you think noise versus, you know, like a pure harmony. Those are, those are the sort of opposites in a timbre domain. Right. So often what I what what a strategy that I've done is to sort of uh, have this dichotomy. So there's extremely noise, extremely noisy elements in the piece and then also very uh, clear sort of harmonic elements. And then they're juxtaposed. Um, So just sort of going to these extremes, um, which plays up that difference, which hopefully makes makes some sort of intuitive sense when you hear it. but sort of going to those extremes is a way for me to make clear um, that there's this relationship. So the noisy sounds are the noise element, but then also the instruments in the piece, at least at the beginning, they're starting out also pretty much just noises that they're making, but then gradually they start to, to play harmonies and things as well, right? So then that's where you get this juxtaposition, like the marimba and the, and the uh, bass clarinet are playing these kind of modal uh, harmonies, which then juxtapose against very intense, noisy electronics. How do you feel about live streaming? How do you feel about the live streaming concert? I mean, it's a very uh, pale reflection of a live concert experience. Yeah. I think. But I mean, in the times we're in, I mean, it's better than nothing, right? I mean, it's a, it's a way to have a connection, at least for performers and for audiences. But I mean, if that's the future, I mean, that is a dark dystopian future yeah. for music i think yeah you know and i and 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 it bothers me when people say things like or like journalists or whoever who are like oh like artists and musicians they're so innovative they always find a way to express themselves even in like dark times and they can't do concerts so they just like go onto their computers and live stream yeah and i i think that's just like that's such a dangerous attitude because yeah, it's so reduced and like the human connection is so important. 
like live, any kind of live performance art, like dance or theater or musical performance. And it's just, it's not the same thing when it's live stream. There has been a consistent reduction in some areas. You know, there, yeah. there's been this, well, what if it was this? What if it's smaller? The audience is going to be smaller. It has to be this. It has to be. Yeah. And it's just one more step along like, well, there you go. No problem. Live streams. That's fine. Yeah. We don't need to pay for like actual concerts anymore. We don't need to do, fund this. You, the live streaming, that was fine, right? Like, no. <laughs> and so those are the things that worry me about music and live performance. And especially what we do is if that's going to be minimized in some way just based on solely cost or hey you know it's just cheaper if they do it at home yeah i mean it's not totally worthless Mm -hmm. to live stream absolutely i don't i don't mean to imply that but it's it's just it's such a reduction Mm -hmm. of what the variety of different experiences that you can have with with art and and musical performance you know having the person on stage, you're in the room with them. There's just, there's something intangible. I mean, you could, you could call it spiritual even where you have this connection, which just, it cannot exist. And that's, and also, and that's not even missing the idea of focused attention or focused listening, which I think is virtually impossible to do uh, on your computer screen, let alone on on a phone or something like that. Right. Where it's like, it's background. And like, like the music I write, I write for people to pay attention to. Sure. Right? And maybe that's, maybe that makes me lame or something, but like, no, <laughs> no, like, you know, like yeah. the, the concert hall is a place that it naturally induces that type of listening. I love a live show for the inspiration and yeah. just to see somebody else playing something, even if I don't like the piece. I'm still like, wow, here's this very difficult piece that somebody created. And here's this performer making this happen, pulling this off and performing this, communicating this to me. It's magical when that happens. I mean, there's nothing that can replace it. And nothing else is going on. Nothing else is going on. It's just me in a room with a group of people watching someone perform. There's not yeah. like a laser light show. There's it's not sponsored by a, a corporation. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they are, but there's no advertisements. I mean, sometimes there are, but it's a singular attention event. Everyone's there. It's, it's you have this energy from the audience. Whatever. I mean, if it's a huge audience at a rock show, yeah. I mean that's an amazing energy, yeah. right? But even like a small like experimental music thing, sometimes that can be really special. You know, you're there. You you're seeing something that nobody else knows about. Yeah. And that's a really special connection. There's just there's there's an infinite variety of that. And when it's on a screen, it's one dimensional. It's just one way of interfacing. It's like I say, everything's television. And that's fine. I mean, I love TV. I love TV shows. <laughs> but you know, that's one out of an infinite number yeah. of possible ways to experience things. So a reduction from infinity to one is is a little sad. Well, thank you so much, Dan. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure yeah. talking to you. And hopefully I notice after doing these two, I, I, then I feel like I'm somewhat rejuvenated to like go and do something creative then I feel like too. Yeah, after. for sure. Yeah, that's no, great. Thanks for doing them. So Dan, if we want to find more in your music, where could we go to do that? I have a website, www.danvanhassel.com. There's links to most all of my pieces there. You can purchase scores, um, recordings, what have you, that that would be the place to be. 
thanks to Dan Van Hassel for sharing his time and music with us. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, check out other episodes in the series and be sure to like, comment, and subscribe on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this is The Process. <laughs>